Bienvenue and welcome to The Land of Desire, a podcast about the weird, wacky, and wonderful stories of French history and culture. I'm your host, Diana, and it's impossible to believe, but summer is just a few weeks away, and for Parisians, that means only one thing. Tourists. France is the most popular tourist destination in the world, and if you visit another country at some point in your life, chances are it's going to be France. If you've seen lots of overblown headlines about a decrease in tourism due to terrorism fears, let's take a look at the real numbers. In 2016, tourism dropped a whopping 0.8%. How many foreign tourists visited France last year? No fewer than 82.5 million people. Let's put it this way. 1% of the earth went to France last year, including this plucky podcast host. One out of every 100 people alive on the planet in 2016 made their way to France. Tourism is a force which shapes every facet of modern French existence whether the French will admit it or not. The most important thing to remember about French tourism is the sheer scale of it, which means that one tiny, harmless trend in tourism quickly mushrooms into an enormous destructive force. For the next few episodes, we'll be taking a look at the sometimes funny, sometimes tragic, often bizarre history of tourism in France. Paris is a museum. Usually, when people throw that old bit of snarkiness around, they're referring to the fact that everything in central Paris is old and change comes slowly. But in the most straightforward sense, Paris often is a museum. With over a hundred in the city limits, Paris in many ways has become a place where France puts things it wants to preserve. But who gets to decide what's worth keeping? What makes an object into a treasure? With these questions in mind, this episode focuses on one of the most inescapable fads to hit Paris in the last century, a fad which charmed tourists and drove locals insane, a fad which calls into question the relationship and even the responsibility between visitors to a sacred site and the site itself. Today, let's discuss the life and death of the Paris Love Lock. The ceremony only takes a moment or two. On the famous Pont des Arts Bridge, which connects the Louvre Museum on the right bank of Paris to the Institut de France on the left bank of Paris, a couple holds up a tiny padlock. The bridge is beautiful, very wide and lined on both sides with a railing that overlooks the river Seine below. The beautiful looping curves make the Pont des Arts a classic subject of any paintings or photos of the Parisian waterfront. But this couple isn't here for the beautiful view of the river, or the buildings. They may not even need to cross the bridge at all. They're here for the railing. Maybe they think it's forbidden, and they look over their shoulders. Maybe they think it's tradition, and they swoon. All of a sudden, the couple bends over, loops the padlock through the iron railing of the bridge, takes out the key, closes their eyes, and they swish, toss the key over their shoulder into the river. Maybe they've written their names on the padlock. 
Maybe they've drawn a heart. Either way, the couple has made a permanent tribute to their love, the most romantic gesture in the world's most romantic city, and their padlock will remind Parisians and tourists for decades to come of the couple's love for one another. Next to the couple, another couple fixes a padlock onto the fence as well. Next to that couple, another couple fixes their own padlock onto the fence. Next to that couple... Let's get one thing straight. I am a romantic at heart. I swoon when I'm in Paris. I'll dance to a musician on the sidewalk in Paris. I've been known to swing around a lamppost in Paris more than once. But in the interest of full disclosure to you, dear listeners, I will state my position here and now. I hate love locks. All over the internet, you'll read tourists, and as you'll see, it's only ever tourists, sighing over such a romantic tradition, such a classically Parisian gesture. And it always gets me really huffy, and I figured it was more productive to make a podcast about it than to complain about those love locks to my boyfriend for the millionth time. So today is my opportunity to set the record straight. Between the years 2008 and 2015, the Pont des Arts bridge was completely covered in love locks. Before the year 2008, nobody in Paris had heard of them. The only people on the internet claiming that there's some ancient French tradition of defacing a public bridge to show how much you care about somebody are, I'm not making this up, companies who sell padlocks. Love locks on the Pont des Arts bridge have been around for fewer years than the show Keeping Up with the Kardashians. So where does this idea come from? People on the internet often talk about an old bridge high up on a mountain in China where couples would put up locks and hope for good luck. There is definitely a Chinese mountain where people do that, but I haven't been able to find any proof that this tradition is particularly ancient. Meanwhile, the New York Times keeps mentioning a hundred-year-old Serbian folktale about a lovelorn woman whose soldier boyfriend dies in World War I. Now, that folktale explains why a small bridge in a Serbian spa town is covered in padlocks, but I doubt anybody in 2008 Paris was holding up their padlock thinking, this one's for you, Vernjaka Banja. The real answer is... Youth. Federico Mocio is the sort of Italian equivalent of John Green. He's writing books about sad teenagers in love which become huge hits thanks to the internet. One of his books, the English title of which translates to I Want You, was originally published in 2006, but it didn't make an impression at first. A few years later, Italian teenagers looking for the next Twilight rediscovered the book and bought up three million copies in only a few years. In the book, two Italian teenagers fix a love lock onto a lamppost on the Ponte Milvio Bridge, the oldest bridge in Rome, before tossing the key into the Tiber River below. Let's be clear, Federico Mocia made up this idea in his head. He told the New York Times he, quote, liked the idea of tying locks to love. Well, that may be all fun and good when it's a small handful of love-struck teens, but I will give you three guesses what happened next. After the next thousand couples put locks on the same lamppost, the lamppost fell over. Keep in mind, this is Rome. 
everything in Rome is old, and when I say that the Ponte Milvio is the oldest bridge in Rome, I mean that it was built in the year 206. Love locks aren't old. The Ponte Milvio bridge is old. But if you're thinking that the lamppost falling over gave anybody doubts about the so-called tradition, you're very wrong. Love locks started popping up on the bike racks, the road signs, even latched onto the lid of the garbage can. At some point, I'm guessing somebody remembered, hey, there's all kinds of bridges in Paris. Why not try a love lock there? Reading through years of news reports on the love locks of Paris basically make it sound like a terrible disease outbreak. It starts innocently enough with headlines like, gestures of love and the Pont des Arts. Paris love locks, a love that won't die. But something which might be cute the first time, even the first 10 times, becomes annoying after a thousand times and dangerous after 10,000 times. As early as 2010, Officials at Town Hall worried that the locks were threatening the stability of the bridge. Headlines started appearing like, Love locks return to the bridges of Paris. Dear tourists, please unlock your love. Paris removes 100,000 pounds of eternal love from bridge. Locked and loaded, love locks inundate the bridges of Paris. The city officials begged tourists to stop adding locks to the bridge, which couldn't handle the weight. What? That's ridiculous, said a bunch of tourists as French civil engineers bit their nails down to the bone. By that point, the bridge was running out of space for the locks, and tourists just began attaching locks just to the sculptures on the bridge. And at this point, it wasn't just officials protesting the trend. It was the Parisians themselves. You start seeing headlines like, Paris falls out of love with the padlocks on its bridges, and are love locks on bridges romantic or a menace? And then even headlines like, crumbling under the weight of commitment. The tipping point arrived on June 9th, 2014, when city officials' nightmare came true. The bridge handrails collapsed. Just like the lampposts in Italy, the Pont des Arts bridge couldn't actually handle expressions of love on that scale. But if you thought that people would stop adding locks to the bridge after the bridge began tumbling into the river, you're mistaken. Headlines start appearing like, Love lock epidemic spreads amidst growing controversy, and Love conquers all despite city hall, and Love-struck couples still locked to Paris despite officials' best efforts. And Paris paramours foil love lockdown. Paris officials didn't know what to do. Even after adding plexiglass and fining anyone who was caught with a padlock, the locks just kept coming. The mayor of Paris, Anne Hidalgo, said, The problem is too big to control or contain. It's a mania now. The city began telling everyone in no uncertain terms to stop chaining their feelings to the fence. And they told tourists, our bridges can no longer withstand your gestures of love. The deputy mayor of Paris was clear as day when he said, quote, we don't want the love locks on the bridge. It's not very beautiful and it is dangerous. We want people to come to Paris, but we don't want them to put love locks on. 
you can't accuse the officials of being wishy-washy or confusing here. Finally, last year, Paris threw up its hands and said, enough. Snip Snip went one million padlocks, weighing over 45 tons. Let's take a moment and think about the figure 45 tons. 45 tons is like taking a monster truck, parking it on a bridge, and leaning it on its side against a chain link fence, hoping that the chain link fence will keep the truck from rolling off. Even this drastic measure of removing the locks didn't get the message across. When I visited the Pont des Arts bridge a few months later after the massive unlocking, the padlocks were making their way back. I want to give credit to the city officials of Paris. They don't want to be killjoys. If the world wants the Pont des Arts bridge to be a memorial to love and lovers, okay, Paris isn't ever going to say no to that. But could we find a way to pay tribute to love that doesn't sink the city's monuments into the Seine? Paris in 2017 straddles a weird divide. It's the most visited tourist destination in the world, but it's also a city in which people live. How should Paris negotiate the demands of its tourists, who fund 10% of France's annual GDP, with the demand of its citizens, who have to live there 365 days a year? The author David Foster Wallace once wrote that, quote, to be a mass tourist is to spoil the very unspoiledness you are there to experience. It is to impose yourself on places that in all non-economic ways would be better, realer, without you. Ouch, David. I say that as someone who likes to go to Paris. But there are five and a half tourists for every one citizen of Paris. Being a tourist in Paris isn't like being a tourist somewhere else. Every action you take might be multiplied by 36.5 million by the end of a single year. Every trend, no matter how much it may seem harmless, will have a significant impact on the city of Paris. So here's the question. What responsibility do tourists have towards the places they love and cherish? If tourists come to a city they love, how can they respect those who live and work there? These are difficult questions, and there isn't exactly one single universal answer. But just for a start, don't throw metal garbage into their rivers. Don't kill all their fish. Find a way to participate in the life of the city you love without damaging that city's infrastructure. When the Pont des Arts Bridge first opened in 1804, it was an immediate success. Despite the fact that everyone had to pay a toll to cross it, as many as 64,000 Parisians crossed the bridge on its opening day alone. The bridge's architects created what they called a suspended garden with beautiful arches, which would hopefully be decorated with hanging plants, boxes of flowers, and comfortable benches. The bridge was a daring design, using metal instead of solid stone to create a lightweight, modern bridge with crisscrossing arches which just sort of hovered over the water instead of blocking anyone's view of it. And it looked less like a piece of infrastructure and more like a sculpture. 
But over the next 200 years, this beautiful, fantastical, delicate bridge would sustain one damage after another. First, there was shelling in the Revolution of 1830. Next, the bridge suffered shelling in World War I. Then, the bridge suffered shelling in World War II. The city's architects started worrying about the bridge's brittle bones. Finally, in the 1970s, a floating barge going down the Seine delivered the final blow. For the next decade, Paris worked painstakingly to rebuild the bridge, this time in 20th century steel, recreating the original, swirling, beautiful, and delicate design. The Pont des Arts bridge has always been a tribute to the beauty of the River Seine, and for 200 years, architects have designed a bridge meant to be both beautiful and almost transparent, a lovely place to stand and take in the view without blocking that view of the Seine from any other point. So not only do the love locks of Paris threaten the physical structure of the Pont des Arts, they miss the very purpose of the bridge's design. The bridge was designed to contribute to the aesthetic beauty of Paris without blocking the view. Since 1991, the banks of the River Seine have been a UNESCO World Heritage Site, which is defined as an area of outstanding cultural or natural importance to the common heritage of humanity. So even when they aren't collapsing the guardrails, even when they aren't poisoning the fish who swallow keys, the love locks are a way of diminishing the beauty of this site for others. So the locks are gone. The question is, what's next? For now, Paris officials are reconsidering what it means to be a true Pont des Arts, not merely a bridge between the Louvre and the Institut de France and their masterpieces, but a piece of art in its own right. Right after the locks were removed, when the guardrails were temporarily replaced with some wooden panels, Paris officials turned the wooden panels over to El Cid, a French-Tunisian artist who specializes in what he calls calligraphy. I was lucky enough to see this installation when I was there. Giant pink Arabic characters quoting one of France's greatest novelists, Balzac. Paris is in truth an ocean. You can plummet, but you'll never know its depths. Once that exhibition was over, just in time for the summer of 2016, Paris unveiled a beautiful exhibit of metallic sculptures from the sculptor Daniel Orday. Like the bridge itself, the statues were lightweight and delicate, and many of them were kinetic, turning gently in the wind. While various temporary art exhibits flourished on the bridge itself, French officials struggled over just what to do with the locks themselves. This summer, the city of Paris will begin auctioning off the love locks for charity. For about 150 bucks on May 13th, you can purchase a collection of love locks mounted on handcrafted displays or even a section of the original Pont des Arts railing, the railing that had to be removed before it fell into the Seine. The proceeds from the sales of the locks will benefit three associations helping to shelter recently arrived refugees, Solapem, the Salvation Army, and Immo Solidarité. 
According to the auctioneer in charge of the whole thing, we selected the locks that seemed the most beautiful, the ones that were colorful, full of fantasy. It's a way to have a small souvenir of Paris. But of course, what does the word souvenir truly mean? Memory. As city officials said in their official statement following the original removal of the locks, Paris is, and always has been, the city of love, and never needed locks for couples to celebrate their union. With the love locks, as with all other tourist activities in a city which gets 37 million visitors a year, one doesn't need to leave a mark on Paris. Paris leaves its mark on you. Thanks for listening to The Land of Desire. For more information about the history of Lovelocks, visit the show's website at www.thelandofdesire.com. In the next few weeks, we'll be talking all about the history of tourism in Paris. That means I want to know about the tourism in Paris from you. Did you visit recently? Are you planning a trip to France this year? Come join us at The Land of Desire's Facebook page and let's talk all about it. Also, while you're planning your trip, did you know that the Land of Desire has its own guide to Paris? You can see my official recommendations for hotels, hostels, restaurants, even tourist attractions at www.thelandofdesire.com Paris. On one final note, I'd like to thank all of my listeners who wrote in to me these last few weeks. I have been getting a ton of mail from you with amazing questions, super interesting anecdotes, and great suggestions for future episodes. I just want to take a moment to say thank you again to all of you for taking a moment to write in and let me know what you're thinking. I read every comment I receive, and I'm sure making a the hardest effort I can to write back to all of you. If I haven't gotten to you yet, I promise I will soon. So thank you to all of you. Finally, I'd like to thank those of you who are taking a moment to mention the Land of Desire, whether it's on Facebook, whether it's on Twitter, whether it's on Reddit, or if it's just in real life, letting the other Francophiles and podcast enthusiasts in your life know about the show. Thank you again. And until the next episode, au revoir.